News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. We've been following this Hockey Canada story as it's been unfolding with the scandal surrounding the players of that 2018 juniors team. Hockey Canada quietly settled a lawsuit recently after a woman said she was sexually assaulted by eight hockey players, including members of that team. Well, now one HL defenseman has come forward who says he was on that team and he was not involved in what happened. And given that the names have mostly remained a mystery, I'm wondering, is this now what's going to start happening, that you will independently have players coming forward to say, I was there and I wasn't a part of that? Meanwhile, more sponsors are jumping ship, the latest being Swiss Chalet and the keg restaurants. So let's get more to the bottom of this. Joining us now once again is Dan Robson, author and senior enterprise writer at The Athletic, who has been on top of this story. Dan, thanks for being back with us. Thanks for having me, Simi. Have you, like, what do you think about the events that have unfolded since we last talked to you? Because a lot has happened, right? You had a lot of big time sponsors that are saying, you know, we don't like what we're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most significant thing has been exactly that. Um, uh, when when they, there was an announcement of an investigation being launched by Sport Canada into uh, what happened and, and how the settlement came to be, and um, sort of that sort of the, the withdrawal of, of of government funding, um, it was I was curious to see what might follow. And then I at the time I thought, you know, that's obviously significant in terms of headlines and and you know being a, a step taken. But uh, when when corporate um, funding starts to get pulled when big names that are you know tied um, I think quite intimately in terms of branding with hockey in this country um, I think that that's created a real statement um, and I think it's, it's been the kind of effect that we weren't sure that we'd see but but now we're definitely seeing right because like when Tim Horton says we want to distance ourselves from this is yeah. that when Hockey Canada knows it's got a problem well, that's, and that's the thing, um, you know, I was talking with a, a colleague about this the other day, and, and I think it's just the, I mean, obviously the funding is, is a major issue, but it's also just the symbolism. I mean, the, the idea of you know, Tim Hortons has created a brand of, of Canadiana being intimately tied to hockey. Um, Scotiabank has been doing the same in recent years, Canadian Tire as well. And so when you see these, these big companies that, that have sort of, you know, for years, I think, have been, um, associated with, you know, the idea of hockey in, in Canada in terms of how they brand themselves um, to now pull away from something like Hockey Canada, the, you know, the most important body in, uh, in, of the game in this country. I think it's, um, it's, it's significant on multiple levels. Yeah. Is there more pressure, Dan, on the players here too? Because up until now, they've been fairly well protected and not just by Hockey Canada. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I, I think I, I would imagine that every... Um, player that was at that hockey gala around um, is likely obviously getting legal counsel and trying to figure out what's best um, for them as they, you know, just figure out what to do. As you mentioned uh, yesterday, Victor Mete, um, one of the members of that world junior team came forward and said he was not in, in London at the time. And there's an appalling situation. There's a cloud hanging over every member of that world junior team right now. And, and so I'm, I'm curious to see what comes next. I mean, Similarly to, uh, obviously for a different reason, but when Scotiabank made its first statement saying we're pulling out, all of a sudden over two days we saw um, other companies do the same. And, I'm, and while it's a different situation, I'm wondering if um, other players might see it's within their interest to sort of say, you know, I also wasn't there. Kale McCarr, who just won the Norris Trophy, um, and, and also the Conn Smythe in the Stanley Cup, and it's probably the biggest name member um, of that World Junior team has already come forward previous uh, and stated that he'd fully cooperated with the investigation and was not a part of it. But um, so far, everything else has been quite silent. 
Well, that's what I was thinking too, is that's now what's the next step is here. People are going to start asking, well, what about the players on the team? The roster is public. And Hockey Canada hasn't said very much either, have they, Dan? Well, Hockey Canada has um, sort of pulled the sort of, you know, the tight lips about it. They said that they, they are not aware of the names of the alleged um, people involved in, in the incident. And so, um, you know, they, they said they had their own investigation through a third party lawyer that um, looked at everything and, and not all of those players, none of those players were compelled to, invest, to be right. part of the investigation. And about a dozen um, were potentially a part of that investigation, but they've been a little bit um, unclear about all of that. And, and they've you know gone out of their way to not um, state anyone involved. Now that might be for um, legal purposes on the advice of their third party counsel, but right. they have not been forthcoming in terms of, you know, I'm obviously, as you said, it's not hard to figure out, yeah. um, you know, who, who was at the gala, for example, or who was around, but um, they're not saying anything publicly. Does this remind you, and I know it reminds me of this, about the, the culture that was at the Chicago Blackhawks that caused so much concern that we now know about? Because it's a real see no evil, hear no evil thing, isn't it? Well, that's, I, think, I think that we need to look back at what happened in Chicago and, and, and that uh, what, you know, what became a, a cover-up of, of a horrific incident in, within that organization um, and, and see that there's sort of a ripple effect is I think how people are reacting to this Hockey Canada incident. Um, you know, I think that hear no evil, see no evil mentalities existed in the top levels of the game for some time. I mean, that's, that's not just an opinion. That's just factual. That's, we've seen that um, for decades. And we've seen, um, you know, incidents that people don't want to discuss. And that's sort of the, the culture of it is sort of, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, be too public about this. We can deal with this on our own. But right now, um, you know, this is playing out in a, um, you know, a very um, public way um, in which people are asking really difficult questions of an important governing body of hockey. And so I think that, um, you know, that those two are very related and there is sort of a questioning of that culture. And I know you've been continuing to do great work on this that I have been reading and following along, but Dan, what questions do you still have? Like, where do you think this story goes next? Well, I, I think there's, you know, multiple places. I mean, we're, we're looking forward to see the NHL investigation, um, if, what, what, if anything, that, that brings forward. The NHL has said, obviously, there could be players that are now playing um, in, the, in the league that, that could have been in, involved in this alleged incident. And I think what happens there and, and whether there's any repercussions at that level is going to be key. Um, there's, you know, there, there's a, um, a government probe into this right now. What the, the revelations um, which should be coming at the end of this month, uh, end of July. Um, so that will be quite interesting. So there's more to come in this story. There's absolutely uh, the weeks that come, there'll be more news and, and as more corporations and, and more players perhaps um, sort of coming forward. So I, I think, you know, in, in some ways we're sort of, it's one of those stories where you just feel like you're getting closer and closer to, um, you know, figuring out um, what needs to be determined and, 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 and what the outcome of that is, which is what I think is, is most key here, really. It's that you know, there's two levels. I mean, there's obviously there's a alleged horrific incident and, and that's, that's one thing. But then also there's that systemic um, reality that people are questioning of like, well, well, what if this is a settlement that occurred? Like, has there been more? What else has happened? And what is, how is it being dealt with? And so I think both of those, um, there's a lot of answers that still need to be given I think so too, because like if we know if we barely know about this one, what else don't we know about? Uh, Dan, thank you so much for your time again. 
Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Dan Robson, you can read his work at The Athletic, and if you don't subscribe, you should because it's well worth it for the type of investigative work that Dan does and Katie Strang does on this story in particular, but on lots of other ones too. So check that out at The Athletic. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, it is a heck of a headline. Just a few days ago, a near-complete mummified baby woolly mammoth was found in the Klondike Goldfields. It's an extraordinary find and a rare one. And we are going to hear all about it right now with the help of our guests. We have Dr. Grant Zazula with us, a paleontologist with the government of Yukon. And we have Debbie Nagano with us, a director of heritage with the Trondek Wetchin government. Thanks to both of you for being with us today. Thank you for uh, having us and uh, hoping to talk about our beautiful uh, Nunchoga. Okay, what is Nunchoga, Dr. Zazula? Tell me about that. Well, Nunchoga is now the most important, um, beautiful, complete woolly mammoth that's ever been found in North America. She's a beautiful baby woolly mammoth. Um, she was discovered by uh, gold miners at Treadstone Mining, uh, the young equipment operator named uh, Travis. He, uh, he was using a piece of uh, heavy equipment in the permafrost looking for gold. And when his, his equipment hit, what he looked down, he saw a face of a beautiful baby woolly mammoth coming from the permafrost. And, and uh, they stopped mining and he... Um, the, the, the mine owner, Brian McCoggin, uh, sent an email to me, and within half an hour, um, he, he emailed this photograph, the photograph of this baby woolly mammoth face that changed all of our lives. Uh, my life, it's changed the Trondic Wichin's lives, and now we have this complete uh, baby woolly mammoth that's, uh, we believe, over 30,000 years old. Um, she was recovered from the permafrost at the mine by my a wonderful colleague, uh, geologist, uh, Jeffrey Bond from the Econ Geological Survey, and and then she's a complete mammoth. She's we think she's over thirty thousand years old. I'm I'm so excited talking about this. Um, she's <laughs> I can tell. probably a month year. She was probably a month old when she died, and uh, Nunchoga is a, a beautiful gift to the world and especially to the Trondic Wichin. And you know, I think this is really important scientifically. It's an important find for the world scientifically, but it's even more important. Uh, for the Trondic Wichin, because I think it's an incredible um, discovery on their traditional lands of an animal that's part of their ancient history, and uh, and Nuncho Ga will be part of their future. And Debbie, and I'd love Debbie to tell us more. Yeah, yeah. Debbie, what, what? Tell me about Nuncho Ga. What does that mean, and how significant is this? Nuncho uh, The meaning behind it is is big baby animal in our Han language. Okay, and so what does this mean then for uh, for the people of that area and having this discovery made there in your traditional lands? Um, you know, it, it's been six days that we have found a neutral gas, so it's um, just profound, it's remarkable. Um, it's, um, it's very exciting for our membership, and uh, we're just learning a lot about it. And um, you know, we always have to remember to uh, respect the um, the mammoth, and um, because we're 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 taking a lot, so we're uh, we need to remember to give it back also. Um, Doctor Zazula, let me ask you: You talk about the excitement scientifically for this. What can we learn from this, or what questions do you have from this? 
You know, this is this has been a scientific life dream of of mine. You know, I've been studying the ice age for 25 years since I was a young graduate student at the University of Alberta, then over at Simon Fraser University. And there's so many professors in my life and people that um, helped support me. And this is something I've always dreamed of seeing. You know, I've seen the photographs from Russia and Siberia of these incredible discoveries of woolly mammoths, and and and. And I, I never thought this would be something in the Yukon, even though we collect the bones of woolly mammoths and other ice age animals all the time at mine sites. We, we never, we, it's so rare we ever find these mummified animals. And there was actually a mummified animal found in Trondic, uh, which in uh, traditional territory a few years ago called Sure. She's a complete mummified wolf pup that's almost 60,000 years old. But uh, so this is uh, Nunchoga, Sure's. Uh, cousin, you know, from the Ice Age, from the deep past of the Trondikwachin, and we can learn so much about her, but I think what's more exciting for me, rather than the science, is how much we can learn from Nunchoga through the guidance of the, the elders of the Trondikwachin to learn about her and what she means and what she's going to teach us, and working through science with the, the traditional ways of the Trondikwachin, um, and, 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 and bringing in the gold mining history and culture of the Yukon together with Trondikwachin and Yukon government and scientists, this is, a, this is a, a major event for the world to have this kind of collaboration with science and indigenous people and, and, and industry. This is a remarkable event, and Nunchoga will guide, guide us through the future with this. Dr. Zazilla, what, what, <laughs> what would you like to see for the next steps here? Like, how do we study this? Well, for me, you know, I, I just think the first part, we just have to appreciate the power and the beauty of this. Uh, she's a beautiful baby woolly mammoth. She had a mother 30, over 30,000 years ago. She died alone, and that's an amazing thing to compliment. I, I haven't slept in, in almost a week. I, I'm, I'm so <laughs> overwhelmed with emotion and excitement. She has, she has a trunk and ears and a little tail and hair and little toenails. She's a beautiful, complete woolly mammoth, an extinct animal from the deep past that now is reborn in, for the Trondikwachin. And, and I, I can't wait to go down the road of discovery with her, with the scientific community, and then uh, the, and the Trondikwachin, because we're all in this together, and it's going to be an incredible ride, and we're going to learn so much together about so many things. Well, you'll have to come back and tell us what it is that you're learning. It's going to be a fascinating process. Thanks to both of you for being with us today. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. appreciate your uh, time and interest. Well, it's so interesting. That's Dr. Grant Zazula, who's a paleontologist with the government of Yukon, and that was Debbie Nagano, who's the Director of Heritage with the Trondekwetchen government as well. This is Mornings with Simi. I always hope that everything goes well on this long weekend, that there will be not a lot of medical emergencies out there, but you just know there will be cases where people will have to call 911. And that's why news like this is a little scary because there was a warning issued from the union representing BC's emergency communications professionals. And that warning is they're worried about critical staff shortages and that there will have to be potentially forced overtime. So let's find out more about this. Donald Grant joins us now, president of emergency communications professionals of BC. Donald, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. What is the staffing situation like this weekend? So this uh, long weekend is already proving to be an extremely busy one. Um, Throughout last night, there were consistent wait times on the police emergency lines and non-emergency lines at ECOM. 
Uh, wait times on emergency lines remain basically consistent throughout the night at the two to three minute mark and the non-emergency lines reaching about two hours wait to get through to an operator. And what this means is that 911 operators were absolutely maxed out last night. We were running at minimum staffing levels and our folks were running between call to call to call, trying to get people the help that they need as fast as they can. Um, just right now, um, I, I'm informed that today we have one person that's being forced in on overtime. And what that means is on their last shift at work, they were working, answering calls for help. And a supervisor or manager came around to them on the floor with a piece of paper saying that you are required to work a 12-hour shift on top of whatever overtime you're already working. So uh, our people are stretched thin. Um, they're maxed out. And the entire situation is incredibly alarming and distressing for us, knowing how much pressure we've been under for, for years now as the staffing situation just continues to get worse. Right. Donald, um, we, keep, we keep hearing, though, that they're working on this, that they're hiring more people. Has anything improved? Yeah, so uh, we've been working hard and advocating at every level of government and with our employer. Um, there needs to be investment inside uh, in the frontline staff, and we've managed to get some temporary stopgap measures in place to supplement uh, the pay for night shifts. But more needs to be done to help our uh, to support our psychological uh, health. Um, but more needs to be done, and these these uh, uh, improvements are only in place until the end of the summer. So uh, our latest survey showed that 60% of our members are looking for other work. More needs to be done to make these changes permanent, to invest in the frontline staff. And the answer is not to be forcing our folks in on overtime. It's to incentivize and to make the working conditions better. What has the call load been like? You talked about how busy it was last night. Is it the same type of calls? Is it more emergencies? Like, can we do a better job when it comes to calling 911? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it, it, it was a, it's a typical load from what I'm hearing for a, a long weekend. And that's why uh, at the minimum staffing levels, a two to three minute wait can feel like an eternity for the folks that are calling for help. Um, the, the critical thing for the public to know is that we are going to be there we're going to be working. We're going to be answering these calls. Whether that looks like looks like forced overtime, whether that looks like voluntary overtime, our folks are working so many hours on top of the regular shifts in order to make this work. We're here to help people, and that's what really makes us passionate about this job. We're there to answer people's call for help on their worst day of their lives. And uh, it's just heartbreaking to know that we're in this uh, in a situation where we're essentially just stretched too thin, and we need more staff to be able to do the work. Okay, so the, is it just taking too long to recruit new staff members? Like, from your perspective, what are you seeing? Yes, yeah, so we, we've uh, had uh, one of the most intense hiring pushes that uh, uh, Econ has seen. Um, we've, we've hired uh, dozens of staff since the beginning of the year. We hired over 100 staff last year. Uh, we just can't keep them. And the problem is the high workload, the... Uh, and and the low pay essentially there are some uh, emergency communication centers that are paying up to 20 percent more than us and frequently those areas are not affected by the critical low staffing that we are so we're essentially seeing our folks leave the organization to do the same work which is which is very important and that's the main reason why i find folks are sticking around is because they're there to help Okay, so what do you anticipate for the rest of this weekend in terms of call load and staffing? So we're, uh, I'm, we're expecting that folks are going to be stretched thin. We're expecting that they're going to be running from call to call to call. Um, it's always difficult in emergency services to predict what is going to happen. 
But what we do know is that um, we are going to be there to help folks regardless of what the situation is. And I know that our, our, our uh, members are willing to step up, but more needs to be done. Like our, our number one fear is that this forced overtime is becoming more and more of a consistent threat. And as our folks uh, experience this more and more, what, what, what's, what's the future going to hold? Are we going to be issuing dozens of force and notices? This is simply unsustainable for our members to be consistently forced in, uh, uh, to work when there just aren't enough of us to get the shifts filled. Is there anything we can do to help then, Donald? Any advice for people this weekend? Yeah, so uh, uh, there's always a, a, a few good tips. So the first is uh, if you see something, like we're still there to help. Uh, the, one of the things that uh, we're always worried about is when we are talking about staffing shortages, that folks will hesitate to call 911. If you see something going on that's an emergency, call right away. We're there to help. We don't want to discourage anyone from calling. Um, and the main reason of that is, is that we need to get you the help you need when you need it. The second thing is, is if you're out enjoying the lovely sunny weather that's out there right now, uh, just be mindful of your cell phone. Um, one of the easiest ways that you can prevent, uh, you can help the 911 system is by minding your cell phone. Um, if you accidentally uh, dial 911, that ties up some resources. But if you do end up dialing 911 by accident, that's okay. Just stay on the line, tell the operator that you dialed by accident, and we'll clear it up. Um, we're, we're there to help. But that sounds like that happens a lot because we were speaking earlier um, with Ecom in the week and they said the same thing. How often does that happen? I, I don't know the exact statistics on how often it happens, um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it does happen quite frequently. It does times a shift at least. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it's not, it's not, uh, not the end of the world. It just ties up resources. And it's an easy way that the public can chip in to help. All right, we'll do what we can. Listen, best of luck, Donald. Thanks for joining us. All right, thanks so much for having me. That's Donald Grant, president of the Emergency Communications Professionals of BC. And this is the union, of course, that represents uh, the emergency communications professionals. They're kind of raising the alarm about, you know, the long weekend calls to e-com. They said their operators have received an alert from e-com saying that there could be critical staff shortages this weekend. They're already seeing evidence of that, meaning staff members will have to work forced overtime. And they're they're already seeing delays, they said, uh, just starting yesterday, which was the kickoff to the long weekend when it comes to calling 911. And he's right in that when you're calling, if it's an emergency and you are scared and you need some help, any kind of a delay probably feels you know, 10 times longer than it actually is. So yeah, not a great situation. We will continue to monitor that this weekend. And if you want to weigh in, Simi at CKNW. This is Mornings with Simi. Oh, yes, we are celebrating Canada Day by playing lots of Canadian music. And maybe we could watch a little Canadian soccer, too, because our Whitecaps will be in action this weekend. Joining us now to talk more about that is head coach Vanny Sartini. Hello, coach. And good morning, Simi. Happy Canada Day to you, too. Happy Canada Day to you. Well. How do you celebrate? Can we tell you where there's some good poutine, perhaps, to check out today? Uh, tell me, yeah, whatever. I'll, uh, I'll accept any any advice and uh, to 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 make the day as Canadian as I can, as poutine are uh, really good, so it's okay. Poutine is great. Just go to Costco. It's right by you. If you're going to BC Place, there's great poutine right at Costco. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Okay. That, Check it, it, it's, it's, actually, it's actually true. Yeah. It is actually true. I'm not even joking. It is very, very good. Um, and you are going to be at BC Place because you've got a game coming up. Uh, and now you're going to be playing Los Angeles. Home field has been so great for you guys, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 The, uh, our performance has almost been really good this season. So, yeah, you know, we have a very difficult game because LAFC is the, is the best team of the league. They're number one at the moment. But, uh, you know, uh, we wish for that at home we can beat everyone. So why not? Why don't do this upset tomorrow? <laughs> is that your speech that you give to the players too? Like, why not us? Somebody has to beat these guys. Why not us? Yeah, yeah, you know, the the, the speech would be basically that uh, you know, it's uh uh we again, we we show we demonstrated before that uh, uh any team that came here it's uh, it's having a tough time. So, uh we need to be I would say the owner of our place and uh if we keep playing like we we, we we've been playing lately, yeah, we I think we have uh we have decent chances to to bring the game home. Right, little trouble scoring in that last game, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we we played well. We had a lot of chances. We had a lot of shots. Of shots. We we shot a, we shot in the I think sixteen times. That uh, it's one of the highest of the uh, of the of the season. But uh, but we didn't score. So hopefully, all the, the, the first of all, the, their goalkeeper last time, the New England goalkeeper, made a fantastic performance, and uh, uh, hopefully, all the uh, bad luck uh, happened in one game, so yeah. we can uh, we can uh, give a little credit. So hopefully we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna gonna get we're gonna get the the luck back uh, tomorrow. Is there a sense of urgency then that you can impart to the players here because you're barely out of the playoff race, right? It's pretty much just two points at this uh, right now. Yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, I don't know if we have to have a sense of urgency to to be. In, in the playoff now, the most important thing is to be in the, the playoff at the, in October when the when the season ends. So the most important thing is to be, I would say, consistent in the performance and the in the results. So even if uh, tomorrow uh, we we are not above the line, the most important thing is to continue working going toward that. Oh, do we still have you there? In good mood. We are. We are, we are. Oh, we seem to be losing our coach there. Do we still have you, coach? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, there you are. There you are. We hear you now. We hear you now. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. So you said the team seems to be in a good mood. They're in, they're in a good frame of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we need to to put, uh, uh, like, say, one one step after uh, after the other one. It's Canada Day, but I'm Italian, so I can tell you Roma, Rome. Uh, wasn't built in a day. So let's say, let's, let's go. <laughs> you can get away with saying that. Yes, you can get away with Because <laughs> you know that. So when you first moved here, what was the Canadian food that you had to try or that, that people said to you, oh, you have to try this, you have to eat this? Well, probably poutine. We say we said it before the, 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 that uh, they, they all talked to me about, uh, about it. And... Uh, the other thing that uh, everyone was saying that was very Canadian was uh, the double double by Tim Horton, but it's uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's too sweet for me. So you know, no I, I like my coffee black. So that I'm not very Canadian in that, I suppose. That's okay. You're 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 as good as it gets. You are Canadian now. You are one of us. Listen. Good luck this weekend. Thank you so much for joining us.
Okay, fantastic. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. That's Manny Saratini, head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Now, of course, Whitecaps are back in action this weekend. They're playing Los Angeles FC at BC Place. And here, let me tell you this. If you don't have a ticket to the game, get one. So this is Saturday. The first 3,000 fans who come to BC Place are going to get a Whitecaps FC bucket hat. That's enough to make... If I weren't going out of town tomorrow, I would be wanting to go to the Whitecaps game to get a Whitecaps FC bucket hat. First 3,000 fans tomorrow at that game will be getting one of those. So, very exciting. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, it may not be easy or seem like it's easy to travel anywhere these days. It doesn't seem like it is stopping Canadians, though, from making that commitment. This being Canada Day, it also means that it is one of the busiest travel weekends out there. So Vancouver International Airport is preparing for that. Let's find out how they are doing so. Joining us now is Mike McEnany, who's the Vice President and Chief External Affairs Officer at the Vancouver Airport Authority. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Are you like at work ready to go because it's going to be a busy one for you? <laughs> there are a lot of folks uh, at work and ready to go. We are expecting this weekend, the Canada Day long weekend, to be our busiest uh, since the pandemic began. We're going to be hitting upwards of 70,000 passengers uh, a day. Uh, today and Sunday are going to be the busiest days. And then as we look out over the remainder of the summer and the summer travel peak for July and August, we are anticipating in total that we'll have over 2 million passengers uh, going through YBR. Now, Mike, it turns out I'm one of those people. I will be there tomorrow. So what what do I need to know? <laughs> and I will be there tomorrow as well uh, as a passenger. Uh, a few things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the, the regulatory oversight, of course, of, of airports is federal. So you will be required to wear a mask. I know that has changed, obviously, in other aspects of our economic activity and social activity. But within the airport and on board the flight, you will be required to wear a mask. We are still advising passengers to get to the airport two hours in advance of a domestic and three hours in advance of an international flight. Now, what we have been seeing is that the path processing time through CASA and pre-board screening has actually stabilized considerably from what we saw in April and May at YVR. But just to be on the safe side, we are asking folks to please make sure you've put enough time to actually get to the airport in case there are going to be challenges from a staffing perspective uh, on, on pre-board screening throughput. throughput. So wear your mask, come in with, with plenty of time. And if you do have lots of time, by the time you get through, there's obviously lots of shops and, and other places uh, uh, pre-post uh, screening to grab a coffee and relax before your flight. That's always my methodology too, right? Can't can't go wrong with a good bookstore. Um, but Mike, let me ask you this. Are there certain areas that perhaps the delays are longer? For instance, is it longer for international flights or is the screening pretty much the same? The pre-board screening is pretty much the same. What you have seen of late in the media where you've seen stories of gate holds, etc., that has not happened at YVR, uh, that is primarily happening at Toronto Pearson over the past month or so. So what we have been experiencing is you will get potential delays for pre-board screening. But if you're flying to the United States, of course, we have uh, a U.S. pre-clearance at the airport. So you have to go through U.S. customs before you board your aircraft. That is another stage that you have to process through. So obviously, travelers need to keep that in mind. For international, it has been roughly the same experiment, uh, sorry, roughly the same uh, experience in terms of, of domestic in terms of pre-board screening. But again, just to be on the safe side and, and given the, 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 the 
for lack of a better phrase, the experiment we are going through right now in a restart of a sector that was largely shut down uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. Just to be on the safe side, we are asking folks to make sure they've planned well ahead in terms of their arrival. How busy were the months of May and June compared to pre-pandemic levels? They were busy. Uh, They were approximately 75% of pre-pandemic levels. And the, the, the biggest challenge that we are having as a sector and, and as a passenger, you do not care and nor should you care what the, the, the governance structure is uh, within an airport and within within the passenger journey. But in getting a passenger from A to B safely and on time, you have a variety of different organizations, some of the public sector, some of the private sector that are involved in completing that journey. What we have seen as we have started to recover is that we have to work very closely together to make sure that across those different organizations, we are not dropping the ball at any one point because any 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 chunk in the process impacts all other processes. So what you've seen over the past couple of months has been a very concerted effort, both with our government partners and with our air carriers, to try and make sure that we can calibrate this relaunch better than what we have seen through April and May. Now, for the most part of why we are, the, 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 the experiences you will have are not the same as what you potentially would see at other large airports in terms of the gate holds that you've seen in Toronto and the congestion in the customs hall that you have seen uh, at other airports. But nonetheless, uh, it is still very challenging overall. And again, and I, I used to keep repeating the message, but that's why we come back to you know, for, for your own stress levels. Please ensure that uh, you're arriving uh, uh, well in advance. Let's talk about the staffing situation there, for instance, like for security, for baggage handlers. How has the airport been ramping that up and are you back at full staff? So within the airport, as, a, as a, an airport authority, uh, we are, and this this gets back to my, my point a few moments ago, just in terms of the different entities that are involved. So when you're looking at ground handling, uh, that, that is a, another partner that uh, is involved with the air carriers directly. And again, this comes back to the passenger does not care, nor should they care, that there are different entities and separate organizations that are involved in all this. Get your act together. Everybody needs to work together to make sure we're able to process. So what you have seen through whether it's PBS or the ground handlers, they have all been working very diligently to increase staffing. The challenge that you have within aviation, of course, is that there are security clearances that have to be processed through. There are training requirements that have to be uh, put in place. So even if you are able to identify a hire on day one, it could be two or three months before that person is actually able to operate in the field. But these are all the pieces that, that we are we are chunking through, for lack of a, a better phrase, uh, but uh, you know, collectively we are working very hard on it. So have there been meetings, Mike, in the last month or so with all the different stakeholders at the airport, all the different, as you put, like, you know, partners and getting things done saying, listen, what are your plans here? We've got to ramp up. Absolutely. There have been there have been a heck of a lot of meetings and there continue to be meetings. And there's going to, the, the fact of the matter is, there's going to continue to be meetings such as that throughout the totality of the summer. Those numbers I was mentioning a few moments ago, getting over to 2 million passengers through July and August, I think that's going to work itself out. I don't have the math in front of me, but I think that's going to work itself out to about 85% of 2019 levels. So all those meetings, whether it's with representatives in the federal government in Ottawa, whether it's local representatives here, whether it's ground handlers, staffing, et cetera, that is all going to continue. And you have seen, you have seen, material improvements, but it's not a consistent improvement. And we need to see a consistent improvement where then we can say to passengers, you know, folks, you can you can return to one hour in advance of a domestic and, and one and a half hours in advance of an international. But we're not at that stage yet to provide that guidance. 
Okay, and so the news that Air Canada was kind of cutting back its flights is that a bit of a relief? Do you think for airports? I I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a relief. It's a very much you know a, a double edged sword because of course there's going to be a lot of folks whose whose who's travel is impacted by that directly. Directly in terms of Air Canada flights into YVR, we are not impacted by that announcement. But if you are flying back to YVR from another airport and you're connecting somewhere and, and your flight might be impacted, well, then, of course, you, you are impacted. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, I suppose it's a necessary measure that they obviously have decided they have to take as they try and smooth out this relaunch uh, exercise. But you know, certainly we feel for the passengers who are going to be impacted. Well, okay, let's run through then the, um, the busyness for this weekend and what you think passengers need to know if they're coming out to the airport. So again, t- top level, uh, top line points, please arrive uh, in plenty of time for your flight, whether it's domestic or international. Please remember, of course, that uh, you do still need to wear masks in the terminal and on board the aircraft. And please recognize, too, that the, the folks at CATSA, the, the CBSA officers, the airport staff, the airline staff, everyone is working as diligently uh, as they possibly can. So uh, please, uh, please just keep that in mind as you're working your way uh, through the airport. I will do that tomorrow morning for sure. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And best of luck. That's Mike McEnany, who's the Vice President and Chief External Affairs Officer at the Vancouver Airport Authority this weekend, being one of their busiest of the year in particular. They said today and Sunday are the two really busy days. So make sure you give yourself lots of time out there. The good news is that when you look at the extremes that have happened at other airports, particularly at Pearson in Toronto, that hasn't necessarily happened here in Vancouver, but that doesn't mean there won't be lineups and delays and you really need to keep your patience and make sure you check all those rules and what's going on uh, before you head out to the airport and get there early. I'm one of those people who could never get there early enough, but I know other people like to cut it close, but good advice for you if you're traveling soon is get there early.